Our gospel tonight is from the 22nd chapter of Luke's gospel, starting with verse 39. Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, pray that you may not come into the time of trial. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and prayed. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because of grief. And he said to them, why are you sleeping Get up and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. How many of us have had the good fortune of visiting Disney World or Disneyland. Whatever the case, Disney is the most magical place on earth, right? That is their claim to fame, especially if you're a kid, but even for some of you grown-ups too. I remember being skeptical and cynical and kind of a Scrooge about Disney the first time we took the boys when they were little because I was doing the math. I was counting the cost. I was lamenting how much more or better or different we could be doing with a grown-up vacation with all of that money besides giving it to the mouse. And we have friends who work there, so we didn't even pay to get in. But we got there, and I drank the Kool-Aid real quick. I bought it all hook, line, and sinker because the boys were so excited. And they were in awe and enamored by the rides and the fireworks, by Buzz and Woody, by Goofy and Mickey, and all the rest coming to life right before their very eyes. At one point, after dropping $47 or something similarly ridiculous on a Buzz Lightyear action figure drink cup, probably with about 10 ounces of lemonade inside, I said, Walt Disney can have all my money. The boys were just having that much fun. Well, Disney works really hard at making their parks the most magical places on earth. Among so many ingeniously imagineered things, did you know that Disney has paint colors that they have named Go Away Green? and Bye Bye Blue. They're the colors Disney uses to neutralize and disappear the unappealing, unattractive, but necessary parts of any public space, like garbage cans, mechanical boxes, fences and partitions, 
even the utilitarian buildings you might see from the monorails or the Skyliner gondola ride are hidden in plain sight with these cleverly camouflaged paint colors. And all that is great for fairy tales and child's play and a very expensive week's vacation in Never Never Land. But tonight, Ash Wednesday is about precisely the opposite. It is about doing anything and everything but disappearing the unappealing, unattractive, ugly parts of our lives as people on the planet. Tonight is about laying them bare, the shame and the death and the sin of it all. Tonight is about calling it all out, owning it, rubbing it into our foreheads for ourselves and for others to see, and trusting that God will do God's thing with this dust and these ashes and this brokenness they represent. That God will forgive it, redeem it, wipe it off, wash it away. That God will somehow transform it into something other than the mere smudge and smut that stains all of us. And I'd like to take this a little bit further, to dig a little deeper, maybe, this time around for our Lenten walk in the coming weeks. If you read my newsletter article from February, you know I tried to get you all thinking about this plan long before tonight. Over the course of the last several months, I've been particularly moved by Anderson Cooper's All There Is podcast. Anyone else yet? He started this after his mother, Gloria Vanderbilt, died a couple of years ago when he began to take on the monumental, emotionally taxing, spiritually draining task of going through her things, reliving his life and hers and theirs together as the last living adult in their immediate family. For those of you who don't know, Anderson Cooper's father died when Anderson was just 10 years old. And his older brother, Carter, died by suicide when he was 23 and Anderson was 21. Carter jumped from the 14th floor of their New York apartment while his mother watched. So left with all of that history and tragedy and sadness, Anderson was left to digest and to deal with the grief he soon realized he'd never been taught or trained or equipped to do well. And he began to record his reflections about it all, because he's a reporter. And he had conversations with others who traveled the road of grief and sorrow, too, so that he could learn from their experience and wisdom, and so that he could share it with whoever else might want or need to listen. I'd been so moved by these conversations and inspired by the simple truth that grief is or will be the common ground we all share as human beings. That it felt like a holy calling and a faithful responsibility to do this together and to do this for each other however much we're able. The good work of teaching and learning and praying about and equipping one another to grieve well, I mean. Or at least to broach the topic and engage the notion that that's possible 
and a worthwhile endeavor to grieve well. So that's what I hope we're up to tonight and in the weeks to come. And in many ways, it should be nothing new. Like I've already said, it's so much a part of what brings us together on Ash Wednesday. And I think there's something about the common ground of grief that makes this service and our Good Friday worship every year, too, so compelling for so many of us. More of us typically come together for those two worship services than all the Wednesdays in between, but I'm hoping that will change this year. Because it seems to me, as hard as it can be, something about it all draws us to the ritual of and to the reflection on the grief that gathers us. So I'd like to do more of that, more deliberately, these days. And while we don't always know or acknowledge or have the language for it, like Anderson Cooper realized, our penchant for this great part of the human experience, I mean, that it would and should and could be for us a deep, meaningful exercise of faith as children of God. In Scripture, we read about Job in the throes of relentless grief, repenting in dust and ashes. We know that in the Old Testament days, prophets and priests and kings and commoners put on sackcloth and covered their heads with earth and dirt and dust and ashes. In the book of Judges, we read about the women of Israel who made an annual public display of their grief over the murder of Jephthah's daughter, one of their own, so that the nation of Israel would never forget it. In Jeremiah, we read about the wailing of Rachel being read and heard in Ramah for God's children who were lost and banished into exile. And of course, we know of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, mourning the loss of his good friend Lazarus, shedding tears as thick as blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, and crying out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My point is, this is God's desire for us, believe it or not. To acknowledge, to wrestle with, to experience the grief that finds us in this life. There's no such thing as, or at least there's not enough, bye-bye green, or bye-bye blue, or go-away grief, or bye-bye blues, perhaps you might call it, when it comes to the sorrows of this world. It is hard, and it feels holy, and it can be unfair too much of the time, and our inclination can be to cover it over, to pray it away, to paint it into oblivion if we could, or sleep and sleepwalk our way through it like the disciples did in tonight's gospel. But tonight, the ashes on our heads, these Lenten days that lie ahead, the cross of Christ that waits for us down the road, all of it is an invitation to see that grief and sorrow are part of life in this world. No one escapes it. Not one of us is immune from it. Not even the God we know in Jesus could shake it at every turn. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And that's what this obnoxious wall is all about. Each week, we will bring something forward to this shrine to our grief and our sorrow. We will grieve those we've lost and loved on this side of heaven. We will grieve the loss of and the damage to creation of which we are guilty. We will grieve our regrets, our missed opportunities, the generational sorrows of our people, God's children, the church, and more. And I suspect it will be hard and it will be holy too. I imagine it will be beautiful and brutal at times. And I pray it will be instructive and healing and unburdening and life-giving and full of hope in the end. There's a poet named Denise Levertov who wrote this about grief. To speak of sorrow works upon it, moves it from its crouched place, barring the way to and from the soul's hall. There's some cards out there. You can take it with you if you want to stew about a little bit more. To speak of sorrow works upon it, moves it from its crouched place, barring the way to and from the soul's hall. That's what I hope we'll do with our grief in the days to come. Speak of it, at the very least, so that it doesn't block our connection to God's greatest desire for us. Not deny it, or hide from it, or run from it either. Not keep quiet about the challenge it can be to our faith. Not feel bad or guilty for wishing that this grief was never ours to bear. And I hope we'll trust what God can do with it and what God can do with us if we will let our grief and our sorrow be. If we'll feel it. If we learn to live with the ashes for more than just an evening, perhaps. More than just a season, even. And more than just a symbol. And as something God is always undoing, always making new, always redeeming, always raising from the dead to new life with love and full of hope in Jesus' name. Amen.